Welcome to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening this week. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. One year ago, Lori Alhadef and Ryan Petty were private parents raising their families in Broward County. Then February 14th happened. Their daughters were among the 17 students and staff members killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland when a gunman brought a semi-automatic rifle to school and opened fire. Alhadef and Petty have taken public roles since their daughters were killed that afternoon inside their school. Alhadef is now a member of the Broward County Public School Board. Petty sits on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. They have sought out and fulfilled their positions in the years since the horror, they say, in response to the deaths of their daughters. For me, I'm trying to use the death of my daughter as my power to honor her, to be her voice, because her voice was silenced on 214. Uh, And for me, uh, you know, the most difficult thing I've ever had to endure uh, in, in my life personally, but certainly as a father and a parent. And uh, I'm just trying to turn that into something positive. Lori Alhadef's daughter, Alyssa, and Ryan Petty's daughter, Elena, were both freshmen at Stoneman Douglas. They were 14 years old when they were killed inside the school's Building 12. I would love to have Alyssa remembered as beautiful, outgoing, intelligent. She had such zest for life. She was an incredible soccer player. She played the eight position. Her soccer number was eight. And when you turn the eight sideways, it's the infinity symbol, which means forever. And Alyssa loved the beach. She loved boys. She was so outgoing. And she really lived life to the fullest. Unfortunately, she was killed at age 14. You know, for for Elena, um, she had such a strong character and a strong sense of self. And I'd love for her to be remembered as somebody that knew who she was, was comfortable with who she was, and that allowed her to reach out to others, um, to befriend them, and to accept them for who they were. In the years since the shooting, Oladef and Petty have taken public positions, putting themselves in the middle of the investigation, response, and debate over school security, safety, and guns. Today on The Sunshine Economy, you'll hear from these two Parkland parents about what's been done in the past year and what more they'd like to do. For Oladef, her perspective has changed now that she's a member of the Broward County School Board. As a parent... You know, my job was to make sure all their activities were done. I made sure they did their homework. I packed their lunch, and I sent them to school and thought they were going into a safe environment. Unfortunately, didn't come home alive. But now as a school board member, I want to make sure that we have the safest environment possible for our students and that... I, as a school board member, make sure that everything is done as much as I can to make sure policies and procedures are set and enforced and that we hold people accountable for doing their jobs. Alhadef has been critical of Superintendent Robert Runcy and has felt frustrated by the formal setting of the school board. She has pushed for school safety town hall meetings to be held throughout the seven school board districts. Her effort to have the school board vote on holding the town halls was not allowed at last week's meeting. She also criticized Runcy for canceling a public meeting with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas' parents. Instead, the superintendent planned four private meetings with parents, one for each grade level. Three of those have been held. 
I believe the problem is that Superintendent Runcie is trying to control the conversation. And by not having media at these uh, meetings, he's able to control what is then brought out to the rest of the community. It's very important that the entire community has their voice being heard. Somebody might just own a house in Coral Springs or Parkland, and they want to see what's going on in the schools because they're concerned about their home value. We have students that are in seventh and eighth grade, and they're going to be going to Stoneman Douglas, and they have concerns. So they should be able to go to an open meeting and to be able to hear what is going on. For Ryan Petty, he has sat through hours and hours of testimony and reviewed hundreds of pages of evidence as a member of the state commission formed to investigate the shooting and issues surrounding the lead-up and response. Petty also supports open public school safety meetings in Broward County. I thought my wife and I were actively engaged in in the education of our children because we attended all the all the appropriate school events and and we were supportive and we, we, we had met teachers and we thought we knew the principal and, you know, we, we felt like we were an engaged family in the education of our children. What we didn't realize was, uh, boy, we were, we were sadly, you know, mistaken. Um, there was so much more going on at the school than we could have possibly known. So many things that were happening in, in the school environment with the killer that, we were unaware of as parents and 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 even some of the staff were unaware of and so as actively engaged as we thought we were we were we were sadly mistaken literally your children's lives are in the hands of school administrators that sometimes don't care as much as you do thursday will be the first anniversary of the stoneman douglas school shooting Ryan Petty and Lori Aladef both lost daughters in the tragedy. They both now occupy public roles in how the state and local school board system are responding. Still to come, are schools safer one year later? What more needs to be done? They are absolutely safer than they were since 2014, but we have a long ways to go. I'm not comfortable that if somebody walked in with a gun into a school in, in Broward County that we wouldn't be facing a similar tragedy. This is the Sunshine Economy, one year since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Safety is the key word in the state legislation passed and signed into law just three weeks after the school shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. The law has several components, including the first restrictions on gun purchases in Florida in decades. Now, those are being challenged in court. The law focuses on school safety, providing more than $200 million for school security measures and requiring every public school in the state to have a police officer or armed guard on campus. Are schools safer now? We spoke with two Parkland parents who have been publicly involved in the response to the shooting over the last year. Ryan Petty's daughter Elena was killed. He sits on the state's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. Lori Alhadef lost her daughter Alyssa. Today, Al-Hadef is a Broward School Board member. We asked them that question. Are schools safer now? 
They are absolutely safer than they were since 2014, but we have a long ways to go. I'm still concerned. I'd like to be as optimistic as Lori. And again, she's got a view as a school board member that I don't have. But from what I, the evidence I've seen thus far from the MSD commission and the lack of action, particularly at Ground Zero in Broward County where this happened, I'm not comfortable that if heaven forbid somebody walked in with a gun into a school in, in Broward County or perhaps in other places around the state, that we wouldn't be facing a similar tragedy. What more needs to be done? There's lots of good ideas. And and we're struggling in Broward County to talk about those ideas publicly, which, which I hope Lori and the school board can fix so we can actually have a conversation as opposed to a PR campaign. But where these things always fail is in the implementation phase. And what we saw at MSD, tragically, was a failure to, to train students uh, and teachers and staff on how to properly address an active shooter threat. The, the sheriff's office was uh, woefully and adequately trained to respond. And so we saw that in the response that day. So it's really about implementation the school board enacts policies, but how do you make sure there's follow through and you make sure the administration's actually actually executing on the policy and that everybody at the ground level understands what that means. If, if a, an active shooter walks into a school, what does the teacher do? What does the security monitor do? What's the, what's the job of the principal, the, the administrators? What's that SRO, that school resource officer, supposed to do? What are the students supposed to do? These are things that we're still not implementing correctly in schools, I think, across Florida, but certainly here in South Florida. And until we change that, I'm fearful that this could happen again. And I agree with Ryan. We need to train, 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 train. throughout the entire district. And then we need to hold people accountable for knowing that information, but also being able to perform. In a flight and fright situation, we don't know. People might freeze or they might perform, but you need to have muscle memory and you're only gonna get that through training and situational training. How do you make sure that schools and school districts are actually implementing these changes? One of the ideas that didn't get implemented in Senate Bill 7026, which is the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act, uh, one of the concepts that was being discussed at the time was to have one person responsible for school safety in each county, and that person would be an elected, usually probably a sheriff, right? Uh, that never happened. So that's an interesting idea. I mean, educators like to educate. That's what they're comfortable. That's the domain they're comfortable in. School safety is is something they know they're that that they're responsible for, but they may not be sure how to tackle it, or they may not, in some cases, I, I, I think they don't recognize the importance of it to the learning environment. But having one person in a county that's uh, accountable to the people for, for school safety, I think, would go a long ways. Lori, in the uh, commission report that Ryan helped uh, put together, it mm-hmm. says... Quote, not all school security changes or enhancements have financial costs, and some only require the will of decision makers to affect change and hold people responsible for implementing best practices. You referred to accountability, not only executing some of these safety precautions and, and training mechanisms, but also accountability. Uh, what role is the school board playing in that accountability function? 
So there is some low-hanging fruit and things that don't cost money and things that we can do right away. So we as a school board will be looking at and seeing how we can change different policies and procedures or job descriptions um, and, and what they are supposed to be doing. And then the training aspect at a lower level, like through videos or um trying to get volunteers from our local law enforcement to try to help us. You know, we need help and we need to be able to ask for that help from our law enforcement or EMS or firefighters and bring them on as a team because I feel that if we can do that together, we're going to be stronger. Is that work around job descriptions and some of that low-hanging fruit, as you say, is that happening in real time now in Broward County? It's happening, but not fast enough. So for one example is the school monitor. So the monitor now, their job description is to see something and report it. Well, we have all these monitors at MSD, and they need to have more of a job description than they, what they currently have. Um, on 214, the monitor he saw something and he should have acted and done something. He saw someone with a gun bag. He should have taken them out. Ryan, how do you feel about the accountability function that the commission talked about? We're woefully behind in, in my view. Um, and I job descriptions is the first step. Setting a policy is just the first step. What comes after that has to be clear procedures that are defined that, that adhere to the policies. The security monitor, as an example, should have a clear job description, should have clear roles and responsibilities, and should be trained in those functions. That doesn't happen today. It's still not happening. I think if you were to test a random sample of security monitors across the school district in Broward County, you'd get uh, a, a random sampling of answers about what their jobs are and, and how to perform those duties. So we're still way, way behind where we need to be. But to be honest with you, all of that should have been done before February 14th. It shouldn't require a tragedy on the scale and scope of, of MSD to have job descriptions completed, to have a school district with an active shooter policy, to have training implemented, to have been drilling at the schools on a regular basis. None of that should have required the death of 17 beautiful souls. You're right, Brian, and that led to the death of our daughters. Mm -hmm. That was Lori Aladef and Ryan Petty. Their daughters were murdered at Stoneman Douglas High School a year ago Thursday. Oladef is now a member of the Broward County Public School Board. Petty sits on the state commission organized to investigate the shooting and make recommendations. The commission's initial report includes a series of recommendations for improving school security, such as creating safe areas in classrooms like hard corners. Those are areas in a classroom where people cannot be seen or reached from outside a locked room. They aren't necessarily reinforced with any protective barrier. It's a space for students and teachers to hide without being seen through classroom windows or doors. 
Establishing the spaces has been slow and difficult in Broward County. There have been problems with making spaces large enough to fit a class of students and questions about who's responsible for identifying the spaces and how to mark a hard corner. Superintendent Runcie has said they will be completed in every classroom by the end of this month. For Parkland parents Ryan Petty and Lori Oladef, how the district has dealt with the hard corner recommendation illustrates the lack of urgency they see in shoring up school security. A note, this next section of our interview includes a graphic description that may be unsuitable and uncomfortable for some listeners. With the safer space, it's really important that there is situational training. So it's not always going to be the answer to go to the safer space. They might have to fight for their life. They might have to run. So executing, determining how we're going to put that safer space there is one thing, but then it also needs to go with it is training. Unfortunately, on 214, my daughter was in the direct line of fire, and the shooter shot directly at her. But Alyssa was still alive, and when the shooter went across the hallway, Alyssa could have ran to that safer space. And if there was a stop-the-bleed kit in that safer space, the teacher or student could have put a tourniquet on her arm or leg and hypothetically could have saved her life. But unfortunately, Alyssa only ran back, and she was still in the direct line of fire from the shooter, and he shot her a total of 10 times and killed her. Laurie, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing we can say. No, there isn't. Ryan, I'd like you to talk a little bit about some of the additional strategy recommendations that were made from the commission. Hard corners were part of that. Closed and locked gates during school hours were part of that classroom doors that could be locked from the inside and having teachers always have the keys for those doors on their person was part of those recommendations. Written specific code red type procedures were part of those recommendations. These were mandatory recommendations, which seems like an ironic phrase, uh, but that's what came out of the commission. Where should school districts' priorities be in this list of recommendations that came out of the commission? The priorities for schools, a school district, review your policies. Understand the policies that drive the training and job descriptions and everything that goes on in, in, in a school. That would be the first thing you need to do, just a comprehensive review of what's in place today and what, what gaps there are. And then that list of inexpensive and easy-to-do recommendations from the commission, we, we call them mandatory, as you said. That's a great list to start with. Those are simple recommendations that don't cost a significant amount of money and will will save lives. They would have saved lives on February 14th uh, last year. How do you think districts should be treated if they don't fully implement uh, what was required in Senate Bill 7026, the, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public, Public Safety Act, or some of the recommendations that are, you know, coming forward from the from the commission that you sit on. I know the Governor Ron DeSantis, his transition team, which includes Andrew Pollock, another parent um, of a of a student who was killed. He and the transition team talked about a couple of options, like withholding state funds from schools if they aren't implementing these safety changes. You know, withholding superintendents' pay somehow. You know, tying this into a school's grade. So, you know, even if you're in a school academically, if you're not the safest school you can be, maybe you don't have that A grade. 
even something like charging school district officials with crimes. So where do you kind of fall on all of those things? Do you think that those are ways forward? A lot of good ideas there. My um, belief is that we want to do things that don't uh, punish teachers and, and the students in the classroom. So withholding funding from a school district to me seems to be an extreme, an extreme measure. But the idea of withholding pay for superintendent, absolutely. The idea of removing school board members that don't hold uh, a superintendent accountable, uh, I think is a good idea. I think in the case of reporting of discipline and crimes committed on campus, we know that districts are not doing that today. We know that for a fact because there were no incidents reported at MSD in, in the two years prior to the shooting, which is, which doesn't make any sense because the bathrooms were locked to solve a, a vaping and, and, and problems and crimes that were being committed on, on campus. And there were, unfortunately, some students that were trying to seek shelter in the bathrooms and couldn't get there because the doors were locked. So we know there was a problem on campus. It wasn't happening. It is already today a crime to mislead a, a public official. So misreporting um, school discipline or uh, crimes being committed on campus should be dealt with uh, that way. I, you have to hold the leadership in the district accountable for what the district is doing and not doing and the way it's being reported to the state. So those are all ideas that I think should be on the table. The last one you know, that I would like to see implemented would be anything that would, would take funding away from classrooms or teachers or students. We have gotten the different reports. We have Safe Haven's report. That's our own assessment that we did at all of our schools. We have the MSD Commission report, and we have President Trump's school safety report. So we are trying to bring them all together and what is high priority and then going down the list. So as a school board, we've asked Superintendent Runcie to come up with a timeline of how he's going to implement these across the district, all these recommendations. And for me as a school board member, it's my job to hold the superintendent accountable. And if he is not doing his job, if he's not executing this in a timely manner to make sure that our children are safe when they go to school, then I will call for his resignation and that he is not the best person to continue to lead Broward County Public Schools. That's Lori Alhadef. She is a member of the Broward School Board. Her daughter Alyssa was killed in the Stoneman Douglas School shooting. Ryan Petty's daughter, Elena, was also killed in the shooting. Petty is now a member of the Stoneman Douglas State Commission. Still to come on our program, what these Parkland parents think of the leadership of the Broward Schools superintendent. He has not stepped up and truly been accountable for the mistakes that led up to 214. In one word, he's been ineffective. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy. One year since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Robert Runcie was hired as superintendent of Broward County Public Schools in 2011. Three years later, he led a successful effort to get voter approval to borrow $800 million. The money is designed to fix up schools, but it has been dogged by delays and a lack of transparency. He's been criticized for the same things in the aftermath of the Stoneman Douglas shooting. His critics say he was slow to apologize for the district's failings that contributed to the tragedy, has mishandled relations with parents, and his administration has stonewalled news media efforts to examine the district's role. 
WLRN News is scheduled to interview Superintendent Runcie this week. He has resisted calls for his resignation. Governor Ron DeSantis said he doesn't have the power to remove him since Runcie is appointed by the school board. His current contract runs through June 2023. Lori Alhadef now sits on the Broward School Board. Her daughter, Alyssa, was killed in the Stoneman Douglas shooting. Ryan Petty is a member of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. His daughter, Elena, was killed, too. We asked both of them their thoughts on Superintendent Runcie's leadership in the year since the tragedy. His leadership has been poor. It has uh, not, he has not stepped up and and truly been accountable for the mistakes that led up to 214. And as a leader, you have to omit fault, omit when something drastically and tragically went wrong and that you're responsible and you need to be accountable for it and you need to own it. Ryan? Ineffective. In one word, he's been ineffective. His efforts have been entirely focused on controlling a narrative as opposed to an inward um, look at, as Lori said, what went wrong and why did it go wrong and what can we do to change that? So that would be my, uh, my rating of uh, the superintendent is, is ineffective. Governor Ron DeSantis has, has taken some action against elected officials throughout the state, uh, including, of course, suspending Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel for his agency's uh, mistakes leading up to the shooting and, and re- in response. He has said that he doesn't have the power, the governor doesn't have the power to suspend an appointed official. Robert Runcie is appointed by the school board, not elected. But he recently said that he would think about maybe taking action against Broward County school board members. Would you support him doing that, Lori? I would support him doing that if there is reason and facts of what the school board members did and did not do that led to 214, then he should hold them accountable. Do you think there's evidence at this point that would demonstrate that members of the school board made mistakes that would rise to that level in your opinion? 17 people died on 214. I think that's evidence enough. Three weeks ago, Broward School Superintendent Runcie laid out his plans to implement some of the safety recommendations included in the state's Stoneman Douglas Safety Commission report. We have taken the commission's findings and recommendations very seriously, and we will continue to improve safety and security at an aggressive pace in this district. The superintendent listed the actions the district has taken towards school security. At the news conference, he had a big poster on an easel next to him while he spoke. Just so you can see what our progress is on some of the key recommendations that were outlined in the report. Among Uh, the progress, uh, Runcie highlighted a proposed code red policy. He said schools have conducted hundreds of code red or active assailant drills. He said there are hard corners set up at Stoneman Douglas and some other schools already, and his administration plans to finish installing those throughout the district by the end of this month. The district announced an agreement with the Broward Sheriff's Office, giving deputies access to live video surveillance in schools during emergencies. Runcie said all Broward public schools would have single points of entry by the end of this school year. And the district created a new school security department. Lori Alhadef was standing with the superintendent during his remarks. I was really angry and upset because I was thinking, why weren't these things done before 214? Because if they were done, my daughter would still be alive today. 
he also said at the press conference that he feels the district hasn't gotten enough credit for what it's done in terms of addressing the mental health needs of students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that the district has responded in in a way to help students and staff get the, the help they need after experiencing this trauma? I think there is resources there available. Uh, I don't think that it has been done in the best way possible because students feel like they, they're missing class to, to go get help. And then the resiliency center that the district has, like nobody knows where it is because it's hidden inside of a park. And so the communication of how to get help. And then I've heard too, when people have gone to the resiliency center, they're told to come back a couple weeks later and here's a piece of paper and call 211. So when someone is going and they're traumatized and they need help right away, you know what, They, they need that help there, then and now, not two weeks from now and they could go away from that situation and maybe commit suicide so we need to do a better job providing the resources and if we can't provide it then we need to ask for help and bring in our other mental health resources from the outside to to help the district well i know that he also said that the school district has pulled mental health resources from other schools in the district to concentrate them at MSD. And of course, what the students and the staff at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas have gone through is extraordinary. And and there's no question that they need that extraordinary help. But I just wonder if that's a concern. There are students in other schools that also went through this trauma. There are students in other schools that deal with all different kinds of trauma and have needs as well. Absolutely. We need to be focused and looking at the entire district and the mental health needs for the entire district for all of our students. Every child's life matters. And if we do not have enough resources, then we need to ask for help. Still to come, finding the resources to mend the wounds and make schools safer. As our conversation with two Parkland parents, Lori Oladef and Ryan Petty, continues. We need money to make things happen, but I don't want money to be the excuse. If a district needs to take a look at its priorities and say, you know what, we're trying to fund too many things and we're going to have to step back from a few things so that we can take care of this very sacred obligation we have, then they're going to have to do that. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy, one year since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. In the year since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting, the state has spent more than $250 million on school security. Some of that money has gone to local school districts to help pay for more police officers at schools. Some has gone toward things like securing entries, metal detectors, steel doors, and security systems. Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed spending another $100 million in the next fiscal year on school hardening. It's money that's necessary but not exclusively necessary, say two Parkland parents who have taken on public roles in the aftermath of the shooting. Ryan Petty is a member of the state Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. Lori Oladef is a Broward County Public School Board member. Their daughters were killed in the shooting. 
we need a lot more money. We need help. We need money from the state to help implement a, more of these school safety hardening changes that we want to put throughout the entire district. And is it your sense those resources could be coming? I am optimistic. I do think Governor DeSantis is going to allocate money to school school hardening, to school safety, specifically throughout the uh, state of Florida. He has talked about uh, providing almost $100 million in his proposed budget for the next fiscal year beginning in July. He's also talked about providing those dollars in a more flexible format. Um, in his words, he has heard from school districts across the state knowing that the issues that Broward County is a large population, urban county, uh, school district face a lot different than, say, a rural county or a suburban county. Do you support the kind of flexibility that the governor may be talking about with these dollars? Um, I do support the flexibility. The mere fact that the governor is wanting to put money towards school safety, I'm, I'm super happy about that. We need to make school safety a top priority, and I know we need money to make things happen, but I don't want money to be the excuse. As adults, it's our job to make sure that when we send our kids to school, that our schools are safe and that they come home alive. Our schools are soft targets, and we need to do whatever we can to make sure that they are not. We've had school shooting after school shooting after school shooting. After 9-11, we harden our airports. What are we doing to make our schools safe? And we need to stop making excuses that, well, we can't do anything. I'm 100% in alignment with what Lori said. Money can't be the excuse. Um, to have a, a good learning environment for our students, they have to feel safe. Uh, for our teachers to do what they love to do, they have to feel safe. If a district needs to take a look at its priorities and say, you know what, we're, we're trying to fund too many things and we're going to have to step back from a few things so that we can take care of this very sacred obligation we have to keep our our students and our teachers and staff safe at school, then they're going to have to do that. I think what the governor, my guess, and the legislature in Tallahassee would like to see from Broward County in specifics is a real actionable plan and a, and a sense of urgency and a will to actually take that money and do something productive with it as opposed to just spending it on whatever. So I, my guess is, and knowing the governor uh, that money is going to come with some flexibility, but it's going to come with accountability. And so the districts need to understand that. Beyond state funding for school safety, the biggest debate likely will be over arming teachers. Of the four county school districts in South Florida, only Broward has taken part in the Guardian program that began as a result of the law that was passed after the Stoneman Douglas shooting. That program allows school staff, but not people who are primarily classroom teachers, to carry a gun on campus after undergoing training. The state commission investigating the shooting recommends expanding the program to include allowing classroom teachers to carry guns if they undergo training. It's something Governor Ron DeSantis supports. It's a polarizing recommendation even among Parkland parents. Back to our conversation now with Lori Oladef and Ryan Petty. No, I do not think teachers should have guns at school. I think teachers, they, they went to school to teach and that is their expertise. I think that we should arm law enforcement with a gun. That is their expertise. Um, but we need to give teachers more resources, more books, more pens, more money, but we should not arm them with guns. 
Ryan, is the expansion of the Guardian program to teachers something that you support? I voted for it on the commission, yeah. And I, my position on this is, has evolved over time. I was certainly in the, you know, teachers should teach, uh, law enforcement should enforce the law camp when we were, you know, uh, working on the Stoneman, uh, Stoneman Douglas Act. Uh, that was a position I took uh, very strongly. Uh, my position has evolved over time as I've looked at the evidence that was presented on the commission uh, and the need. Uh, you know, one of my fellow commissioners, uh, Sheriff Judd uh, from Polk County, said, when seconds count, minutes don't matter. And the point he was trying to make with that is the sooner you can stop the bad guy with a gun on campus, the more lives we're going to save. And when you look at the timeline of what happened on February 14th, you know, all 17 were killed, all 34 that were, that were either killed or injured, that all happened within a matter of three minutes. The shooter was in that building for about six minutes, roughly six minutes, but the killing was all over in three minutes. And even the fastest law enforcement response couldn't have gotten, it would have been a challenge to get there. And, and as we saw, the response wasn't what it was supposed to be. So when seconds matter, um, I think you need to have somebody address that threat as quickly as possible. The other point I would make is, um, you know, there were a lot of teachers. The teachers were also at the wrong end of that rifle that day um, and their lives uh, really, all they had was to try to to hide and, and shelter in one of those classrooms. And without going into to, into more specifics, this this could have been significantly worse if a couple of things had been different that day. Uh, and so, giving a teacher that's willing, Jessica, as you described it, it's not arming teachers. I, I, I hate that um, label. It's allowing a teacher that's willing to go through the the rigorous guardian program to then to then carry a gun for me um, seems to make sense because they were just as defenseless and helpless that day as as the students were the issue of allowing trained teachers to carry guns now sits with state lawmakers a bill proposed by Republican Senator Manny Diaz of Hialeah would let school boards decide if they want to allow teachers to participate in the training and carrying of guns. The bill also would mandate school districts report disciplinary incidents. Student discipline is an important issue for Lori Alhadef and Ryan Petty. I'd like to understand a little bit more about student discipline and what are called diversionary programs that are, as I understand it, um, in every school district, in every county uh, around the state. And the diversionary program in Broward County was a subject of some discussion at the commission. Uh, we um, didn't spend, I think, enough time there. Uh, there were some concerns that I saw in the evidence that was presented where there were too many bites at the apple, as we say, and, and a lack of follow-through and reporting. So if somebody doesn't if a student doesn't attend the diversionary program, what happens and what should happen? And so I, I think that's a discussion we need to have as a state in Florida, not just in Broward County. What do we want from these programs? How do we, how do we make sure that we're, we're not artificially or prematurely sending kids down what, what has been colloquially called the school-to-prison pipeline. How do we avoid that, but at the same time have there be real consequences? Because as I've said, 
on the commission, your student or your child's right to attend a public school along with my child you know, sort of ends at my child's right to be safe. And so how do we, how do we get the right balance there between safety and, and making sure that we're providing all of the opportunities for, for, for kids to, to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and move forward? Ryan, the diversionary program in Broward that you mentioned is called Promise. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it's a program that uh, if a student commits one of a, a list of misdemeanors on campus, then uh, they may have the option to go into this program where they could go to an alternative school and potentially get counseling if, if their issue is with substance abuse. They might be able to get treatment for that. Um, and when you said that one of the problems with it is that students have too many bites at the apple, um, I guess what you meant was that there's been evidence that has shown students have committed these misdemeanors over and over again, that they may get a clean slate going into the next school year. And so that sort of keeps them from having, um, I guess, a discipline that gets more intense or, or more severe as they continue to have these troubles or these problems at school. I know that um, Superintendent Runcie said at that press conference uh, that he held recently that one of the changes that the school board might consider to the Promise program is to get rid of that uh, idea of students having multiple chances to make mistakes and get that sort of softer treatment before potentially being diverted to the criminal justice system. Is that something that, that you've been talking about on the school board yet, or is that a, a priority for you, Lori? Definitely is a priority. I think Promise and our disciplinary matrix definitely needs to be looked at, and there needs to be changes made to it for sure. I do think that kids who commit something that is small, they do deserve a second chance, but when there is higher infractions, then they might need to go to law enforcement and to the next level. And there needs to be a comprehensive look at their disciplinary record throughout every school year, and they should not get a clean slate every year. Ryan, how do you think that, that Broward County could address what has been called a culture of leniency uh, in, in schools as far as discipline? Yeah, I, I've certainly used that term. Um, first of all, the um, to come into compliance with Senate Bill 7026, which calls for threat assessment teams to be established at each school and within the district, that's going to require a different posture from the school district, one that includes law enforcement in what should be a, conver a robust conversation and sharing of information. There's far too much discretion for administrators and principals as to what gets done, um, what a particular infraction constitutes in the discipline matrix, and the tendency in Broward schools, and I think this was driven by the leadership down to the principals in the schools, was to move it down a notch or two. Whatever the infraction was, move it down a little bit so that it doesn't qualify as something law enforcement needs to take a look at. And that, that has to change also. And third, we saw these shortcomings of the Promise Program, in particular in the commission meetings that we had, where, where the shooter was sent to the Promise Program, but it's really unclear whether he ever participated in the program because the attendance systems hadn't been set up. You can put a great brochure out. You can do a community relations campaign. You can, you can publicize something and tell the community you're going to do all these wonderful things. But then when, we, when the implementation of that thing fails... We have to remember we're failing those kids. 
And unfortunately, when they're not implemented correctly, they can lead to a tragedy like, like February 14th, where the school district, I will say, missed multiple opportunities to divert this young man down a different path, and it didn't happen. Ryan Petty is a member of the Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. His daughter, Elena, was killed in the shooting. Lori Alhadef is a Broward County Public School Board member. Her daughter, Alyssa, was also one of the 17 victims. Still to come, how these two Parkland parents remain Broward public school parents after the tragedy. A couple of the fathers requested a private meeting with the SROs, but I said, you know, there may be a day where you have to decide whether you go home to your kids or those kids in that classroom go home to their families. My only requirement for my boys in order to send them back to school was that they have a bulletproof backpack. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. In the years since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting, many of the families of victims have started nonprofits in memory of their lost loved ones. Lori Alhadef founded Make Our Schools Safe. It focuses on school safety. Ryan Petty's efforts focus on school culture and identifying students who may be a threat to security. His group is called the Walk-Up Foundation. Both parents have taken on public roles after the deaths of their daughters. Alhadef is now a member of the Broward County Public School Board. Ryan Petty sits on the state's Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. But before taking on those public positions, both had to decide whether to stay involved in Broward Public Schools after the shooting that killed their daughters. Both have children who are going to school in the county. For Petty, his youngest son returned to Stoneman Douglas for his senior year this year. High school isn't a decision yet for Al-Hadef, who has two sons in middle school. Well, I think a lot of parents at MSD, not just those of us that lost uh, loved ones that, that tragic day, had to make that decision. And I think a lot of it depends on the student themselves. And so uh, my son Patrick is... Uh, I'm I, I'm so proud of him. He's a resilient young man. Uh, he's strong. He's been um, he's a leader at the school. Uh, he he was capable and able to to be there. We thought we thought safely. Um, I hope safely because I hope they're taking you know I hope the administration and the school monitors and the SROs. I've actually had a conversation with the SROs. Um, a couple of the fathers. Uh, requested a private meeting with the SROs that are in the Parkland schools. And we wanted to put a face on what happens when they don't do their job. And I looked at them and I said, you know, how many of you are fathers? And several hands went up. And I said, you know, there there may be a day where you have to decide whether you go home to your kids or those kids in that classroom go home to their families. Are you willing to make the decision? Are you willing to make that decision? And every hand went up. So I had a lot of I have a lot of confidence in the deputies that are there, despite what happened on February 14th and and the anger associated with the lack of action. I believe that the SROs there that are there today will act differently, and so that gave us some comfort in leaving Patrick in school. So when we moved to Florida five years ago, we wanted to send our kids to public schools. We moved to Parkland to send our kids to the Parkland schools. And after 214, 
My only requirement for my boys in order to send them back to school was that they have a bulletproof backpack because I feel that at the end of the day, if all else fails, that they would be able to use that backpack to protect their vital organs and save their life. Lori Oladef, her daughter Alyssa, was killed one year ago Thursday in the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Ryan Petty's daughter, Elena, was also murdered that day. Pilar Uribe is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Jessica Bakeman. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.